Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Today is uh, definitely an exciting day for us as we, uh, Kelly already introduced briefly to you uh, our all-in generosity initiative that we're taking right now, and we'll be saying more about it in coming weeks. Um, but this generosity initiative that, that we're going to be talking about, um, it's an initiative really to fund the mission and vision of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church to Baton Rouge and beyond. And I want to say that as clearly as I can up front, um, because I I need it to be clear that you understand that this isn't first and foremost or primarily a building project. Um, That's not what we're talking about here. Um, This initiative is about people, right? It's primarily about the mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known to others. Um, And that means it's about you, um, but it also means it's about people you may not know yet. Um, You know, several of you have been a part of this church uh, since its earliest stages. And many, but many of us in this room, in this building, sitting on these chairs, right, uh, growing as Christians, as followers of Jesus, teaching our kids the Bible, participating in various different ministries. We're here because a group of people, a group of Christians got together and they had a vision for people they didn't know yet who would come and sit in these chairs and be in this building and be ministered to and come to know Jesus here and grow in in what it means to follow Him. And they sacrificially and generously gave to that mission and to that vision of Jesus' church. Um, And so I'm saying now we get the opportunity to do that again, right? To dream and think about and plan about how we can give sacrificially and generously to the future ministry of this church. And and I do want to encourage you to dream, to dream about the people you may reach with your generosity, the lost who may come to know Jesus, the people to be cared for and ministered to with the gospel in word and deed, Um, for even future generations to come to know Jesus through what we do in this initiative, which is why more than anything else, um, we want to spend these next few weeks, uh, five Sundays, really talking about the mission and vision of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Uh, We want our generosity to follow that mission and to follow that vision. So what's our vision? Why does South Baton Rouge Pres exist? In coming weeks, we'll get more specific about what our mission looks like on the ground, 
right? Which is really vision, right? What it looks like. But today we're thinking bigger. We're thinking about our purpose. We're thinking about what our mission is, about why we exist. And South Baton Rouge's mission is twofold. It's on the front of your bulletin. Every week you come here to worship. Our mission is to know Christ and make Christ known. That's why we exist. Um, And so this week, I want us to look together at Psalm 67 and focus our attention on the part of our mission that is to make Christ known to others. This is why we exist. So I'm going to read Psalm 67 for us, and then pray for us, and then we'll get started. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. This is God's holy word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Selah. That Your way may be known on earth, Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth Fear him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before your throne at this moment to plead with you that you would make clear to us your word that it would be applied to our hearts, that we would be changed by it as we see our Lord and Savior Jesus. For we ask all this in His name. Amen. The Bible as a whole, um, and Psalm 67 in particular that we're looking at together this morning, tells us That to be the church, to be the church means we understand that we don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for others. To be the church really means that we are compelled to move outward into our city, into our neighborhoods, into our friendships, and on and on to make Christ known to people who don't yet know Him. Archbishop uh, William Temple once famously said about the church's unique identity, he said, the church is the only society in the world that exists for this primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. Right? The only society in the world that exists primarily for those outside of itself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you know that name, uh, he wrote from a prison cell in Nazi Germany, the church is the church only when it exists for others. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ 
and to exist for others. To be the church, what I'm saying is to be, for us to be sent out in mission, it's to exist for others, to make Christ known so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. So as we come to Psalm 67 to think about this mission of making Christ known, I want to organize our, our thoughts around these three things. Here they are. The source of mission, the power for mission, and the end of mission. Right? The source of mission, the power for mission, and the end of mission. First, talk about the source of mission. The source of mission, I can put it in one word. The source of mission is God. Right? The source of mission is the very heart of God which moves outward in love to bless others. And to experience His blessing, to experience His love, and to experience His grace is to be caught up in that outward movement. Right? Psalm 67, it's unique in that it deliberately echoes two key Old Testament passages. Verse 1 is an echo of the benediction in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 26, which is God's declaration or His pronouncement of blessing upon His people, right? May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. And I would put it to you that that is, an, that is actually a great summary of our deepest need in life. To have God's blessing, to have His favor, to be assured of His love for us that's bestowed on us freely through Jesus. To know that all our sins are forgiven. To know His face and His smile is shining upon us in delight. Verse 1 is an echo of that benediction and that flows into the rest of the psalm which is an echo of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, which is that God would bless Abraham so that through Abraham, God would bless all the peoples of the earth, all the nations. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, just remind you of this, says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I mean, do you see, there's this principle that runs throughout the entire Bible. The source of mission is God moving out in love to bless Abram. I will bless you and make your name great, but, but it doesn't stop there. Abraham is to be caught up in this outward movement of blessing. As someone else put it, God never calls you in by His grace without then sending you out in sacrificial service to others. Abraham, God says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. Derek Kidner uh, is the name of a guy who, who uh, wrote a wonderful little commentary on the Psalms. And in his commentary on the Psalms, the title that he gives to Psalm 67 is The Spreading Circle. 
the spreading circle. And he writes this, The song begins at home and returns to pause there a moment before the end, but its thought always flies to the distant peoples and to what awaits them when the blessing that has reached us reaches all. So he's saying God's blessing is always moving outward with this centrifugal force. He's saying the circle is always spreading. The circle is always expanding. God blesses us so that we would be a blessing to all peoples. Another favorite author of mine, G.K. Chesterton, this is a considerably shorter quote. He just wrote, Christianity is centrifugal. It breaks out. And I want you to think about that image uh, from Chesterton and Kidner about centrifugal force. Because centrifugal force, it de- describes the, the feeling of inertia, inertia acting upon us in a circle, right? And you all experienced it on the playground when you were playing on the merry-go-round. And when you were holding on to those bars for dear life as someone ran around on the outside pushing it as fast as fast as they could, right? Faster and faster. And you held on tightly because you felt the force. You felt the inertia acting upon you. And it was moving you out from the center. The circle spreading and expanding. Hold on to that image and thought one minute longer. As early as the fourth century... Theologians began using a particular Greek word to describe the relationship of the Trinity, the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that word is a Greek word, perichoresis. And uh, the prefix peri just means around, right? And the root choresis meant to give way or to make room. And you actually hear that root word choresis in our English word choreography, Right, the word picture that they were using was of a choreographed dance. Right, each person of the Trinity in a dance of love is what they were saying. Father, Son, and Spirit constantly moving out and around and circling one another in pure love and delight. Why did God create us? It wasn't because he was lonely and needed someone to love him. He already had that. He was in a dance of love in the Trinity for all eternity. You know why he created us? It was this centrifugal force. He was the dance of outward moving love. He was moving out to expand that circle to include you in that dance of love. And here's the gospel. When we turned away from God in sin, when we turned away from His face and rejected Him, He did not abandon us. The centrifugal force in the very heart of God moved out again toward us in love in His only begotten Son, to bless us, to through His Son's sacrificial death in our place, make His face to shine upon us in forgiveness and acceptance and in delight. The source of mission is God Himself moving out in love and grace and and to experience His love 
and His grace and His blessing is to be caught up into that centrifugal force for mission that is always moving out to make Christ known to others, which is what I want to speak about more in the second point. So second, let's talk about the power for mission. And here's the question, what fuels and what motivates, what what energizes this centrifugal force that compels us to move outward to make Christ known to the ends of the earth? I think what Psalm 67 is saying is this, the power for mission is joy. The word joy only shows up once in the psalm in verse 4. But the entire psalm, I mean, when we read it, didn't you hear it? it? It was the deepest expression of joy. I mean, the word praise does show up four times in this psalm. Right? That's the expression of joy. Notice how the psalmist's delight is in bringing others into this joy. Verse 3 and 5, he says, let, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. See, the psalmist is compelled to bring others in, all the peoples, into the experience of joy, to share that blessing with them. C.S. Lewis wrote that human beings spontaneously praise whatever they value. And they also spontaneously, he said, urge, urge others to join them in the praise. This is what he wrote. He wrote, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. And I think we all get this, right? Because when you discover a new book, a new TV show on Netflix or Amazon or whatever your streaming deal is, or you find a new musician or you heard a a new comedian or you went to a new restaurant or whatever, you spontaneously urge others to join you in its praise. Right? You become an evangelist for that thing. And you say, you got to read such and such. You got to watch such and such. You got to listen to so and so. You got to go here or there. Right? You urge others to praise what you see as most beautiful, as good, as lovely, as meaningful. Because praise not merely expresses joy, but it completes the enjoyment. Right? Mission and evangelism. Those words, I'm guessing, probably come with some significant baggage for a few of you in this room. Um, And those words can be a little bit scary. Probably make you think of some awkward forced conversations, right? Um, But what the psalmist and Lewis are saying is they're saying evangelism is way more natural to you than you think it is. I want you to think about how natural it is just for a second. Because there is an evangelistic campaign that happens in Baton Rouge every single fall. And it's called LSU football. And we meet someone who is new to Baton Rouge, and we say, what, you've never been to an LSU game? You've never been to an SEC night game in Tiger Stadium? You've got to go. 
You need to experience the tailgating. You need to hear 100,000 people singing Colin Baton Rouge. You need that, to hear that announcer telling you about the sun finding its home in the western sky and all of that kind of stuff. But you do, you do not stop there. We do not stop there. It's more than mere words because we, say, we invite the person to go with us. We say, I got an extra ticket this week. Come with me. Come and see. Come and experience the whole thing. And it's so natural to us. I mean, you never stress about, out about, oh, how am I going to tell Joe that I really love LSU football on Saturday nights? You don't think that. You aren't nervously thinking, uh, how can I work this into a conversation or draw a diagram on a napkin at lunch to somehow explain this? Of course not. It's natural. It's spontaneous. It just overflows and it spills out of us and we say, come and see. We just naturally want to share our joy and what we value with others. And if college football isn't your thing, it's something else. The power, the fuel, the dynamic for mission is joy. Several years ago now, I heard this sermon by uh, Timothy Keller, and I've mentioned it before, I'm mentioning it again now. It was a sermon on John chapter 4, and I think I mentioned it so many times because it just hit me like a ton of bricks when I saw it, and he brought something out I'd never seen before. John chapter 4, if you don't remember, it's the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at a well. And it's really the story of Jesus evangelizing that woman. And there's this part in the story after he's talked to this woman where he's now talking to his disciples, and he said this, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And that might sound familiar to you. The very next thing he said was this. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Here's what I never thought about before this. Sower and reaper rejoicing together. I... I admit I'm a city kid. I don't know anything about farming. But but even this I get. It is odd. It is odd. It's not hard to understand why reaping is a time of enjoyment and joy. Right? You collect the fruit, the wheat, the grain, the vegetables, whatever it is that you're doing when you're farming. And all the hard work has paid off and you bring it in and it's food. Or if you are a farmer, it's money, Right? But sowing, that's just work, right? You plant the seed in the dirt, and when you're done planting it, you look back at it, and it just looks like dirt. It takes a long time before anything comes out of that. No one rejoices when sowing. But Jesus is saying when it comes to sharing the gospel, that through Jesus' work on the cross for you, you can have the love and smile of God upon you. Jesus says, when it comes to that, both sower and reaper rejoice together. And what Jesus has to mean is this, you do not share your faith to get joy. You share your faith out of your joy. It naturally, spontaneously spills out and overflows to others. And by the way, if you go back and read John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman is the perfect example of this. Because you read the story in John chapter 4, and she is a baby believer. 
And some of the things she says, there might be some heresy involved. (laughs) But she ran back to her village to tell everybody about Jesus. And what did she say to those people? You read it in John chapter 4. She said, come, come and see. Come and see. And many did come. And many believed and joined in her praise. Because she wasn't sharing her faith unto joy. She was sharing her faith out of her joy. She was bringing people to Jesus. Come and see. Matthew chapter 28. We used a portion of it uh, for our confession of faith this morning. Often called the Great Commission. You know, Jesus, it's after his resurrection and right before his ascension. And he's commissioning his disciples before he leaves them. And in it he tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And some of you know or remember that the verb go there is actually a present participle. It doesn't read as well. But a present participle is going. Jesus is really saying that going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. In other words, Jesus naturally assumes that his followers will be going. And why was that his assumption? Because Jesus knew Genesis 12. Because Jesus knew the Bible, because Jesus knew the very heart of his Father, he knew that the joy which results from being loved by God, it naturally fuels and motivates and energizes and empowers mission. All right, third and last, we're going to talk about the end of mission. The end of mission, I would say, is this, the restoration of all things. See, every commentator that studies Psalm 67 sees a future arc in this psalm. That is, it is steadily moving into the future and towards the restoration of all things. See, it begins in verse 2 by praising God that His way may be known uh, 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 known on the earth, and that is His revealed will, His word, right? That moves forward to praising God more specifically for revealing His saving power among the nations, what He's done for us through Jesus. That moves forward in verse 4 to praising God for judging the peoples with equity. I know I'm going kind of fast here, but that is, God is a God of justice. He's saying one day, someday, in the future, He is going to right every wrong and heal all brokenness. That moves forward to God himself guiding and shepherding all the nations. See, this psalm is saying there is a day coming when all pastors are going to be out of work um, because a multitude of every nation, tribe, and people are going to be gathered before his throne, and he himself is going to shepherd his people. Well, that moves forward to the very end of the psalm. God, our God, shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. One day, someday, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I went through that really quickly. I hope you can kind of get a sense of the future arc in the psalm. But here's what's really, really weird. Right at the crescendo of this increasingly future arc of what shall be one day, someday, the beginning of verse 6 is actually in the past tense. It is the only line in the entire psalm that is in the past tense. The earth has yielded its increase. Why would that be? Why would it be in the past tense, right at the crescendo? In a somewhat familiar verse, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, those God predestined, he called. 
And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, some theologians call that verse the golden chain of salvation. All right, one link leading to the next. And here's my question. Why is glorified in the past tense? Why didn't he write, those whom he justified, he will glorify? Why not those whom he saved and forgave, he will one day glorify? Because glorification, that future day when we are fully restored, when every stain of sin is removed, and our bodies and souls are made perfectly like Jesus, um, I don't know if, you, <laughs> if you've noticed yet, but that has not happened yet. But Paul is talking about it in the past tense. And the reason I think is this. Paul is saying that future is so certain, it is so guaranteed, it is so good as done, we might as well just talk about it like it's already happened. And that's what the psalmist is saying. It's as good as done. God's story is moving forward, and one day, someday, all things will be restored. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And mourning and crying and pain will be forever ended. And He'll give you the world you were meant to have, an earth that yields its increase and is never threatened by thorn or thistle. And He'll make you who you were always meant to be, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish of sin. And it's so guaranteed that no matter what happens to you in this life, and there are hard things that happen to us all. There are hard things that have happened to us. There's hard things that have been done to us. There are hard things that we have done. But God is absolutely committed to righting every wrong, to restoring all things, to making you and this world what you and, I, you and it were meant to be. Two quick applications about the end of mission, and then I want to end with a story from the early church um, as we close. First application is this. I think those of you who know me know that I am not prone to hyperbole or over-dramatizing things uh, for effect. But when we talk about the end of mission, we're talking about an eternal mission, a mission that has eternal consequences. The mission to make Christ known is a mission to call others to faith in Jesus, to know his love and to know his smile. Because it's only those that come to Jesus who are going to be caught up in the restoration of all things for eternity. And that means the mission to make Christ known, it is serious business. And of all the many things that we can invest in, and we do, this is what we need to be pouring our resources into. Because it's a mission about people. And it's a mission about eternity with eternal consequences. But here's the second thing, and I think many of us can speak from experience here. If you really give yourself to this mission, if you do, you are going to be hurt in the process. 
and you will be frustrated. And at times you will be disappointed because you know what? A lot of the times people aren't going to want to hear about Jesus. And we'll link arms and we'll work together to fight against injustice and brokenness in the world and poverty in light of God's promise that he's going to put it all to end. And that is messy work. And it can be very discouraging to see the thorns and thistles of injustice and brokenness and poverty and whatever else keep springing up. But this is our encouragement. In Psalm 67, don't be so myopic. Don't be so nearsighted. We can face the disappointment, the fear, and the risk with a guaranteed hope. God says there's a day coming when all things will be restored. So throw yourself into it. The future is certain. It's as good as done. Keep going. All right. Now, here's, here's how I'm going to end. Um, I know I've had longer to think about this all-in initiative, generosity initiative than, than all of you and how it relates to our mission to make Christ known. And as I've spent some time thinking about it myself, um, and really about how my family is going to try to give generously and sacrificially to it, I recognize an emotion that rises up within my heart. And the, the simplest way to name it is just to call it fear, plain and simple. Right, and to be honest, that emotion for me is generally always attached to money um, because I feel the risk of my security. And I think, oh, this is a three-year-long initiative. In three years, I'll have two kids in college. I have no idea how that's going to work out. Um, can we really afford it? And I'm trying to be honest and a little maybe vulnerable and hope some of you can relate. And so as I've been thinking about this for the past several weeks, there's a story from the early church that I keep coming back to. Um, it's in Acts chapter 4, so you can read it later. I'm just going to give you the overview of it. The overview is that the apostles Peter and John were thrown in jail for speaking about Jesus. And then they were threatened to never speak of him again. And it's one of those places where the Bible is um, refreshingly realistic. These are apostles, Peter and John. And Acts chapter 4 tells you that they were terrified. And they were afraid. And so they went and told their friends what was happening. And no one knew what to do. And so they got in a room and they just prayed. Again, you can read all this. They basically prayed through scripture and they poured over the wonder that the sovereign king of kings was hated and crucified for their sake to deliver them. And then Acts chapter 4 tells us that at the end of their praying, they were filled with the Spirit. And basically what that means is the Spirit came and woke them up to the reality and to the wonder of God's love and provision for them in Jesus. In other words, the Spirit came and made the gospel real to their hearts, not just their heads. And out of that experience of that joy, this is what it says in Acts 4.31, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. But that's not what's fascinating to me. What's fascinating to me is that without skipping a beat, the very next thing we're told in verse 32 is this. 
No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And when you're reading it, it's like, where in the world did that come from? Were we even talking about giving? Were we even talking about generosity? It feels so out of context. The next verses get even more extreme. And it says, as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed each as anyone who had need. Now, Acts is just reporting the facts, right? Here's what happened. And I think what it's saying is this. It's saying when you and I wake up to the joy of knowing God's love for us in Jesus, it sends us out in boldness, yes, but it also sets us free in radical generosity. And you begin divesting and you get creative and and you like sell stuff because you want to find new ways to give and be involved in God's mission to make Jesus known. All right, it's first Sunday of this All in, In Initiative, and we've got a lot more to tell you in coming weeks, but here's where I want to leave you. If you can feel the fear rising up in your heart, you know, maybe it comes with a question, can I afford it, can we afford it, whatever, maybe it's a different question for you. I I want to tell you, it is not courage that you need. It is joy that you need. And what we need to be doing together is praying and thinking and wrestling the truth of the gospel deep into our hearts, pleading with God that we would see and taste and experience His outward moving love towards us in Christ so deeply and so profoundly that it wells up within us as a joy and it begins to spill out naturally in generosity and in sacrifice so that others would be caught up in this mission of making Christ known. Here's two verses worth remembering. 1 John 4, 18 and 19. John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We love because He first loved us. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love and the resulting joy dismantles and casts out fear. And by the way, there's that sneaky biblical principle again. We love because he first loved us. God always blesses and loves us so that we would move out to bless and love others in the gospel. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be together this morning to be reminded of your love and your mercy towards us in Jesus. We thank you that um, we can hear the gospel on every page of your word, pointing us again and again back to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would work within my heart, work within our hearts, that we would experience the joy of being loved by you, and that it indeed would cast out fear. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. 
Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.